can farming really be profitable? Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents channel. My name is Jesse Durham. Today we will be talking about farming and about infinite banking. Let me begin by saying that I live in a fairly rural part of Western North Carolina where within driving distance I could arrive at a sheep farm, cattle farm, dairy farm, of course apple orchards, peach orchards, lumber, acreage, lots of different means of farming is done in my area cotton, tobacco, and in fact, I recently saw where North Carolina's number one industry is agriculture, and it was to the tune of 95.9 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars, so it's big business, it's big industry, especially in my state, but I know in many, many others as well, and I would like to talk about the implications of vetting, practicing the infinite banking concept into farming. You know, and I believe a great place to start is with questions. So I'll be asking some questions such as why farm? If you're a farmer or if you're not, but but you're still vetting the idea of becoming your own banker or if you already practice, just consider this with me and you can interpose whatever industry you may need to or career. But why? That's the important part is just the question side of why farm? Why do you farm? Why do you think someone would farm? Is it because that was something they were born into, family business? Is it because that was something that they were passionate about? Is that because, why is that? How long have you farmed? Again, is this something that you've started on a small scale, or is this some intergenerational enterprise of the family that you were born into and carrying on? Do you believe that future generations of your family will continue in the business of farming? Will yours, will your children carry on the business, the family business of farming? Subsequent to that, I would actually ask, what will they actually be inheriting? Are you pleased with the idea of what you see that they would be inheriting? And no doubt you are with some, and, and it's not for me to decide, but I am offering the question, you know, are there parts of the day-to-day -day or the overall, if we could take a 30,000-foot view of your operation, are there parts that you would like to see improve before it gets to where the next generation is completely taking over and carrying on the work? Is farming profitable? Is your farming endeavor profitable? Can it be? Can you see a world where it can be? What would you say? And again, these are things that I don't necessarily know. I may have some good ideas, but what would you say would ruin a farm? What would, what would run it in the ground? What part of the operation, if it's not done right, what could happen that would run it into the ground. What does a farm need? If I could interview you and ask you, what are the top you know, handful of things that a farm needs to do well? What would those be? Now, I hope that this has been a thought-provoking series of questions that we've looked at. Let me now lay out a scenario where we are, you and I are evaluating two different farms. Now, let me describe farm A and farm B to you. Let's say we have Farm B, and Farm B pays its liabilities first. 
Now, a liability is going to be something that costs you money. Now, an asset can cost you money, but it would also, in, in my way of looking at an asset, is something that puts money in your pockets. So liabilities come first with Farm B. Next, they find themselves in a position of being beholden to someone else's terms and conditions, interest rates, etc., the whole kit and caboodle, like we would say. They find themselves beholden to someone else's dictation. Someone else is dictating the terms, the conditions, the amount of interest that they're going to pay for their need for finance. Now, Farm B also finds themselves in a position of being undercapitalized. They're running, running in the red too much. There's not enough buffer between them and a dry season or them and you know disease in the flock or what have you. They also find themselves exposed to all of the whims of the markets, the highs, the lows, the good seasons, the bad seasons. They find themselves excessively exposed to the whims of the market. And not only exposed to the whims of the market, but if, if they are in a position of having assets, they feel uh, restricted by constraints. Again, kind of going back to the terms and conditions, uh, their, their assets or their capital is static, stagnant even. And the mentality and even the pragmatic result is that work is done day to day. Meaning, of course, work is done every day, but work is done and the result or the benefit is is very short-lived. It, there's it's a hand-to-mouth experience. So that's that's farm B. Now let's talk about farm A. Farm A prioritizes assets first, meaning it pays for assets, it builds and capitalizes assets over liabilities. It's a very independent farm, meaning that it doesn't have to make decisions, financial decisions, based off of someone else's terms or conditions, and they don't even consider paying interest to someone else to use someone else's money, because the next point is that they are well capitalized. They have the capital to be able to accommodate for their need of finance, and it is somewhere where they can access it readily for the run-of-the-mill operations. So naturally, by being well-capitalized, they are prepared for the ups and downs. They're, we're all subject, I'm saying, to the highs and the lows, the booms and the busts. Life has cycles and seasons to it, but they are better positioned by being well-capitalized to weather the storms of the ups and the downs. They have cash flowing that's not restricted, so they maintain access to their capital. None of it is put anywhere where they can't access it unless it's it's already been cycled through other assets. Now, it may have an end result in being vested as dairy cows or vested as beef cattle or vested as what have you, interject anything there, that's, that's appropriate, but the dollars have been turned more than one time. And ultimately, that puts Farm A in a position to be thinking, planning, and acting.
drifting intergenerationally. Meaning that each generation is going to be set up better and better than the last. It's going to be scaled in their benefit. Now, we've laid out a scenario here that I understand is more easily said than done. But of course, I'm not going to have a hard time talking with farmers about the benefits of hard work. But of course, we want to be as productive as we possibly can be with what we do have, the tools that we have in our tool belt. So I know that hard work is not going to be a far-fetched concept for my farmer friends. And yet, we're going to see a stark difference between these two because of, yes, the disciplines that they put into place, but also because of the knowledge by understanding the facts of what we're going to talk about, which will be whole life insurance. We're going to talk about properly structured policies with a mutual company that pays a dividend that you can privately own and use as a system. You can create a system of policies to be able to accommodate the need of finance for a farm. Because whether we're talking about tractors or whether we're talking about hay, whether we're talking about a, tra a trailer to be able to get stock to the market, no matter what part of your process that we're talking about, it's readily discernible that there is a need for finance. Farming is going to be, if we'll look at it in this business lens, there's going to be a need for finance. There's going to be a need of capital. You're going to need to be able to access that capital. The more times that you can use that capital and reuse that capital, the more exponentially profitable you can be. And again, with private ownership, you're going to be able to control all this coming and going that I'm describing. So in looking at farm A, farm B, and seeing all the variables that could be against us or that could be put in our favor, that's how I arrive at properly structured whole life policies that could be used to finance what it is that we need to be able to do as a farm. So let me paint a picture. Here's 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 the rubber meets the road description. I talked about some factors here, but here's rubber meets the road. Farm B earns what they earn. And of course, we can't have a discussion about farming or business or money without talking about taxes. There could be a lot said, no doubt, and I'm not a tax expert, but I can read and I have my eyes open and my ears open. So when we realize that taxes can be the greatest eroder to wealth, and when I say wealth, that can mean what it will mean for you. But if we recognize that taxation can be the greatest eroder to wealth, anything that we can do, legally, of course, that can help us avoid unnecessary taxation shouldn't be overlooked. So if we start with the end in mind and recognize that when you buy a whole life policy, you have a guaranteed permanent death benefit. Well, a death benefit transfers to beneficiaries tax-free. So there is an inherent characteristic with life insurance that means that by paying premiums, we will have protection over our whole lifetime with a guaranteed death benefit. So I'm going to start there because again, if we will start with the end of mind, if we will think and act and plan 
intergenerationally, in the context of farming, we can be setting up our heirs, better position than we found ourselves started, by giving them a tax-free transfer of wealth to be able to do everything that we would want them to be able to do with a farm. And do it better and with more control and more efficiency. Okay, but now let's talk about the here and now. If 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 farm B is just earning what they're earning, being taxed, and then turning around and, and, and buying feed, and yes, doing all the things that are still necessary for a farm, but those are liabilities. The feed itself, if we're feeding cattle, for example, the feed itself doesn't pay us. It's bringing the cattle to market. They can get us paid. So by prioritizing liabilities first, there's a loss there. Whereas if we say that the opposite is to prioritize premiums to a policy that we own and control, wherein we can access the money, access the capital and the funds via a policy loan that we use to buy the feed that we would still have used to pay the cattle. See, all we did between those two scenarios is we added one step. We added one step. We added ownership of a private contract wherein we pay a premium there first and we access the cash value in that policy to be able to do what we would have done otherwise by feed, let's say, to feed cattle with. We added that one step and yet by prioritizing an appreciating asset first, it completely changes the end results. Because again, by paying premiums to a policy, that's a private contract. We own it. We have guaranteed growth. We have guaranteed access. There's no market volatility att attached to that ownership. We are protected against uh, inflation by having a hedge against inflation. Um a hedge against litigation. We have the tax-free transfer of wealth, as I mentioned, with the death benefit. So, so there are a lot of characteristics that make whole life policy structured the way I'm talking about, the perfect entity to accommodate for a farm's need of finance. So keep doing whatever it is that you're already doing. Small scale, large scale, doesn't matter. But if you would consider what it would mean to become your own banker and not be beholden to... I mean, could you imagine what it would be like to run a farm without banks in your lives? Could you imagine what it would be like to hold the notes on your own stuff? I don't care if that's your tractors and equipment. I don't care if that's your stock. I don't care if that's the mortgage on your property. Whatever the case may be. Everything is financed, folks. Everything is financed. Either we will use a conventional bank and pay interest at their terms and conditions, or we set aside cash somewhere. My question is where. But we will forfeit the opportunity the opportunity to earn interest on that cash, on that capital. So everything's finance. Either we're paying interest or we're losing the opportunity to earn interest on our money unless we account for that banking function and we own private whole life policies 
with the guaranteed growth and all the, the descriptions that I've mentioned here, wherein we can access our capital for our purposes. So if we considered what it would look like if we didn't abdicate the banking function to someone else that's not part of our family, that's that's not nearly so interested in the production and, and the future of our farm, and we would do that for ourselves, it would be a dramatic, dramatic difference. There is no comparison. And if you will consider that you're a farmer in a particular industry or trying to deliver a specific product or service, and if you would account for the banking function the way that I'm describing and compare yourself to another farm that is seeking to provide the same product or service, no comparison. You will beat the competition out. No comparison. So obviously, if you have a place where you can access capital for your need for finance for operating purposes, that's great. It's your terms, your condition. It's your capital. You can access it. You're not putting money somewhere else where you can't get to it when you need to be able to get to it for whatever emergency or whatever need or whatever change, whatever boom or bust, whatever dry season, wet season, whatever happens. You can maintain control of the access to your capital. You don't abdicate that to someone else. So naturally, you're going to be better positioned by systematically amassing capital somewhere where you own and control it, where it's growing, and you can use it for your intended purposes like you otherwise would. You're going to do it anyway. But by adding that one step and controlling the flow of your cash, controlling your cash flows by paying premiums, making a policy loan to yourself to be able to finance the things that you're going to do anyway, and then you pay that back to yourself with interest, just like you would to a conventional bank. But it goes into your system that you own and control that you can use for the next series of procurements or stock that you're going to buy or maintenance, supplies, whatever the case, whatever the need is there, your need for finance. And you can perform all this in a private system that you own and control. I'm just saying it's a beautiful thing. So I hope that I'm describing this well. I believe that we could interpose Nash's example of forestry for any other type of growing, cultivating, agriculture, horticulture. If we would approach farming, which is our subject of today, if we would approach farming with a long-range mentality, and if we would not decide not to do business with banks, recognize that we're either going to use our money to our benefit or lose the opportunity to grow and expand and control our capital, if we would rethink our thinking, if we would be open to learning and vetting and then practicing the idea of becoming our own banker, and if we could see the importance of capitalizing a system that we own and control. Because I understand that I'm talking about finances and I'm talking about money and your your desire may only be about how to grow the best peaches and as many of them for as many beautiful families as you possibly can. I understand that. But Nash suggested to us the importance of seeing that we be in two businesses and not just the one. Because it's the one that finances the other. What leads to the best quality peach and as many of them as possible for as many beautiful families in the world as possible 
is the business of financing that business. So what I believe is that we would be able to do that better by accounting for our need for finance. Now, there is a popular saying, bought the farm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or considered that. I'll probably cover that by itself here soon on the channel as one of our quote series installations, but bought the farm. It's relevant for this subject to be sure. Where does that come from? Well, it's alleged that it may come from the 1930s, 1940s when it was said that the death benefit from a life insurance policy is what would allow a family to buy the farm, to pay off the mortgage on the land that they were farming on with you know, agriculture and farming being even uh, much more prevalent at that time as well. So historically in the 1930s, 1940s, a death benefit from a, a whole life policy being used to pay off the family farm and actually own the farm. So again, just the idea that a family, and this is just one aspect, is this is just the property itself, I understand, but it's but it's a very important aspect, no doubt. Although there's other parts of a farming operation that could easily and readily come into the conversation and talking about becoming your own banker for your farm. But the property, just think about the idea of essentially cultivating and running a business on someone else's land, doing what you want to do, farming, for business purposes, but on somebody else's land. What if, what if we could account for our need for finance now while also providing a death benefit that would give a tax-free transfer of wealth to the next generation? What if we could do both? It's worth looking into. If you haven't, I would suggest that you read R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. It's 92 pages. It's large print, and it's got big illustrations. You can do it in just a couple of hours. And if you'd like to have a conversation about how you could implement the infinite banking concept into your household, your business, your investing, your farm, you can reach me at 828-817-4223, or you can email DurhamTalents at gmail.com. This has been a great pleasure for me. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great day. Take care.